The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Medical Education Matters. I'm Michael Brown and I'm joined today with my regular colleagues, Anita Bublik Anderson and Jeff Amundsen. So today we're talking with Dr. Pakman Tang. He is an assistant professor of management at the University of Georgia. And a recent work of his caught our attention as we talk about tech in medical education. So this recent paper of his, published with colleagues in the Journal of Applied Psychology, is called No Person is an Island, Unpacking the Work and Afterwork Consequences of Interacting with Artificial Intelligence. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome, Dr. Tang. It is so, so great to see you. Thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Your paper is our big topic for today. And I think just to get the audience started, in case they haven't had a chance to read it, can you give us a quick overview of this paper and the four studies that make it up? Right. Um, so it's my pleasure to do it. And actually, this paper was really inspired by some real world observation and phenomenon that um, I observed you know, while working in the investment bank. So at the time where people use a lot of AI in this very competitive industry. So the starting point is actually how interacting with AI systems may affect people psychologically and behaviorally. And what we have proposed and found is that the more you interact with AI system at work, on the positive side, you may feel the need to further affiliate and socially connect with others. That prompts people social at work. But the downside of that is it further drives people to feel lonely at work. And that has actually noteworthy consequences because um, loneliness makes these people want to consume more alcohol after work. And also they have sleeping problems. Um, after work. So this is the uh, bigger takeaways of my papers about like there's an adaptive side of interacting with AI at work and there's also a maladaptive side of interacting with AI at work. And uh, in terms of the studies, like we have conducted four different kind of studies with different kind of methodologies, that, uh, which I won't for sure dive too much into it. But these studies, uh, they we, we basically use the method of field survey, uh, field experiment, and even simulation study to capture people's reactions towards the interaction with AI across different kinds of um, sample, ranging from people from working, for example, in an Indonesian um, real estate company to a wide variety of working adults in the United States. So this is a, a basic overview of my paper. Wonderful. I was so impressed with you know having those four studies there and finding things that were similar and supporting the conclusions. And I think that's one of the things that makes this a really powerful work. What does that loneliness look like at work? So I spent some time working in the industry before pursuing my PhD after graduating from a master's degree. So as a risk analyst, risk officer in, um, in the French investment bank. So at work, basically, we need to leverage on the intelligence and the capability of AI to help us do some screening. So screening of corporate clients to detect whether these corporate clients, whether they're board of directors, are clean 
right? You know, do they involve in money laundering? So basically, AI is a really powerful tool back at that time. Um, a time where no one talks about AI, but like investment bank has already been using using them to help analysts to do a better job in uh, calculating the risk goal for corporate clients to be uh, more sophisticated and efficient in their decision making when it comes to risk analysis. So these are basically just some program or software being installed into um, our computer at that time. So you you would set your computer from eight in the morning until four in the afternoon doing this with little interaction with others? Um, yes and no, right? I mean, like at that time, it's not fully um, automated. Like our job, for example, 40% of our time we have to spend with the AI system, you know, doing screen. But at the same time, we also have to talk to supervisor and colleagues about how to, uh, after having all this analysis or result from the software, how can we write the company report? How can we write the case report um, to, uh, to summarize what we have found? So I, I would say, you know, all, nearly half of the time we were actually interacting with AI. Someday we interact more with AI, someday we interact less. So there is definitely a variance uh, in terms of our exposure to AI. No, no, that that helps. That definitely helps me think about like what you're basing your observations on and, and what that might mean as we progress in our conversation here towards, towards medical education. Cool, that's interesting. Anita, any thoughts? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts. So, and this was the, this initial um, sort of exposure to the loneliness. This was at an investment bank in France. Uh, so I was working in Hong Kong at the time. It's a it's, it's a Hong Kong branch of that uh, French investment bank. I gotcha. I just uh, I just listened to an, a a book about um, about a restaurant in France and just certain employment laws that are are really kind of interesting. And uh, I, the idea of having such concern over the health and well-being of your employee interacting with AI, it just sort of aligns well with what I, the background of how like employees are have a lot of uh, rights regarding their mental health in that environment. So I, I find that interesting because I can't relate to that really in the United States. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and also that was a time Back to 2017, so many years ago, at that time, you know, like I would say less than 5% of the industries are really using AI. So there's basically no regulation or protocol at that time for employees to follow when it comes to interacting with AI. So now I know like it's everywhere. So I would say I was a, probably the really first batch of people, I mean, in the 21st century to, to like, you know, really heavily engage in it. That's why I was heavily engaged in AI with AI. So that's why I, I my research, I have a huge research pipeline centering on, on, on human AI interaction. In your and place. My, my follow-up question has to do with the loneliness factor and it's like interface because, um, well, I'm curious to know how you measure loneliness and on the other side of it, like there are some solutions to loneliness that are AI based, like, robots and you know in nursing homes and like ai pets uh or robot pets and things like that to try to like at least simulate an, a connection so i'm interested to know your thoughts on that too right um so to your first question about the measurement um we use measurement scales that have been developed by psychologists and it's been well applied and used in various um, leading management research. For example, I, I can disclose some sample items for anyone to have a better sense of how can we capture, how did we capture loneliness. Some of the sample items is 
I felt isolated from others at work. I felt left out from others at work. So it's capturing, it's actually, it's actually aligning with the conceptualization of loneliness. It's capturing a sense, a feeling, an effective feeling of social isolation and social pain. Um, you feel being left out, being isolated at work. So this is how we measure loneliness, which is in line with a pirate research in the management literature and applied psychology literature. And to the to your second point about, uh, oh, indeed, there are practices or, or even recent emerging technologies that help to, you know, mitigate people's loneliness. That's exactly right, too. And I would say that we have to take into account the factors of the type of AI, for example, the physical feature. And all, all these things actually kind of help people to feel perhaps less lonely um, after interacting with AI. So what we are capturing in our, in our, in our study or, or, or the generic idea is the broader phenomenon of interacting with AI in general. Actually, that will make people feel socially isolated and lonely. But at the same time, we are really open. We should really open to the possibility that there could be some variance in this kind of experience. For example, if some kind of AI system is equipped with social features, a term we call amphomorphism in our literature, then this kind of feeling of loneliness stemming from the result of um, you know increasing exposure with AI with AI might be reduced or mitigated. So I'll say this is a really good point, Anita, because that speaks to some of the, we call it boundary conditions um, in layman language will be factors or inference or practices that helps to maladaptive responses of using AI. You know, I got another thought that's coming to mind here and I have no you know, evidence to say that this is a, a strong relationship or even a relationship at all, but you got me to thinking like, if I'm an individual typically in a minority, who exists in a minority group at work, like it would potentially like the interaction with AI would potentially amplify my sense of loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. Like if I'm not invited to things because I'm not part of the in group and then I'm at work and I feel lonely as a result of AI and I reach out to the group, but I'm not part of that in group. It just makes my situation even worse. So th there again, kind of some variability among individuals in terms of the loneliness they're already feeling at work and then having to work with AI on top of it. So that's, an, that, that, that just got me to think your ideas got me thinking about that potential interaction there. So that's Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're especially uh, you're uh, you know especially spot on 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 this phenomenon, Jeff. Because um, there's been some recent conversation in the literature about how um you know different kind of uh race, for example, or even gender group, or even you know like social class background. How would that affect people' reaction towards AI? There's been some emerging findings uh, at that mm -hmm. end, and also. Uh, that's from one perspective about how this factors affects people, you know, baseline impression or, or experience in interacting with AI. The other stream of research in this literature suggests that basically interacting with AI can can potentially create some in-group, out-group effects. Um, that's an academic term, but in layman language, that means actually AI, some of the unintended consequences of AI can actually be beneficial at work. For example, if marginalized group mem uh, people, like people with uh, from a minor minority group, if they use AI, they may actually feel like more united with their fellows, with their fellow, you know, also people from the same race. So these are some effects that have been initially observed and found in the literature. And I, I think this is a fascinating area, um, you know, to move forward, uh, this line of research. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So any other thoughts here, group, in terms of what this might mean for medicine? Well, I'm, I'm curious. 
um, its application into medical education specifically, um, like how, like what are the lessons learned? Are cautionary statements of like how we interact with AI, like um, as as it's becoming more of a a known entity that's incorporated into uh, I don't know all aspects of life really. Um, what are some of those ways where we're seeing AI come into medical education? I mean, one of the ways I think are opportunities to practice interaction, um, you know, that you as a student may not have many opportunities to practice with real patients or with people, you know, acting as standardized patients, people playing the role of patients. So being able to practice things through AI is one thing. A another thing I've seen starting to expand is that students can get feedback more quickly on some of their writing mm -hmm. to help give them suggestions. Are there other ways, Jeff or Anita, that you're thinking where AI is starting to play a role in what goes on in medical education? I, th I think about some of the conversation around using it as a, re a self-reflection where I can, um, you know, inter interact with AI and have ask it questions, perhaps regarding my own performance and, and see what kind of feedback can give me towards my own understanding of myself, I guess, or at least open up avenues for different ways of thinking about my myself. Um, I was just kind of more curious, like with Anita, when we're talking about doing this interview, we're discussing, like, I was trying to wrap my head around how, what this might look like in a clinical setting, especially like how much time would a doctor, would it be comparable to what the study found in terms of, you know, amount of time spent working with AI versus, you know, humans, so to speak. So I don't know, I'd be curious here, Anita, to hear what, what it looks like for you. Well, in the field of obstetrics, like somebody's got to be in the room to catch the baby, you know, but, um, <laughs> but I could see possibly some kind of like a chat bot if there are like questions or low hanging fruit that could be a source for, you know, education, patient education. Um, but then I think you can get down a slippery slope when you're working on like diagnostics because, you know, there can be common things, but then there can also be really un uncommon things. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'm of a generation where I remember the hometown of REM. So, which happens to be Athens, Georgia. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, where the university so, of Georgia is. Uh, is exactly. We were, we were talking about before we started recording. Well, two things, I, I just jump in here. Two things that kind of caught my attention uh, in terms of the investment banking paralleling experience paralleling with medicine was number one, the, the use of the word competition, mm -hmm. both highly competitive environments. Um, and I think two was just how do we utilize the AI in a way that's conducive to healthy interactions in the clinical environment that's already stressful? Maybe something along those lines. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, lots to think about. Yeah. Are there, are there warning signs that we've seen from other industries that now Pac-Man you think we should we should take notice of in medical education right yeah i can also speak a little bit on this because i i i i have published a paper in med medicine um magazine so um uh, so i study some medical stuff too so I, i've been talking to some part, uh, medical practitioners and i sometimes i use healthcare professionals as my sample in studying this phenomenon so what i've been listening is that i think on, i think oncology is a really big field that use ai like you know in some hospitals in the United States and, and a lot of hospitals worldwide, doctors use AI to make diagnosis on, on cancer or, or some kind of disease. So I feel like, you know, in terms of medical education, um, you know, really, 
I think the 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 practicing of medical students should really and also uh, doctors or medical professionals that want to pursue an um, ongoing study should really understand the associated you know psychological outcomes associated with AI because they may have to make some kind of life and death decision based on the output from AI. So they should should be able to understand when to trust AI, when to not trust AI, and what's the feature associated with AI before for, for trust with, with this kind of machine. So a lot of times, you know, what we have seen um, in the medical literature is that doctors, first of all, or medical professionals have lower, tend to have lower level of trust with AI. So they debate with AI, they they try to not trust AI in some circumstances. So I, I think like that is understandable because they try to make judgment based on their prior, um, um, you know, prior experience or education. So I feel like moving forward, the field as a whole, including especially medical fields, should really think about, you know, maybe AI is doing the best job in this kind of like medical uh, discipline. Then maybe that's where there should be more education coming on uh, for, for this medical profession. So obviously I'm not a professional in that area, but I just feel like it's really, really varies by domain. Like in some medical discipline, AI has been applied more and has gained doctor's trust, obviously, but in some medical discipline, uh, like oncology, it's still a question mark about whether they should trust the uh, deliverables from AI. The other commonality I heard between investment banking and, and, and medicine is decision-making, mm -hmm. high stakes, assessing risk. Ultimately, that's what the doctor is doing, right? And the clinic is saying, okay, this procedure over that procedure, this drug over that drug, even if and before all that, have I made the accurate diagnosis? So yeah, if, could you elaborate on the decision, how you would see the use of, how, how would we train people to use AI in their decision-making processes? Um, I, I, I would say, you know, human biases because of this different kind of you know geographical cultural background the way we, we were being raised uh educated all these things take into account all take into account when it comes to people making a judgment decision so human are really you know biased so one of their ai is to help people try to at least give them more options you know try to remove some biases in the decision making so i would say one really key advice is actually try to scrutinize their, their advice and out, output from AI from multiple perspectives. So um, uh, practitioners or people from an industry really find it hard to accept and use AI as part of the decision-making process. It's because people have biased themselves. They feel like, you know, I, I, I want to make this judgment call based on my prior experience or my understanding of this culture or, or understanding of this industry instead of just listening to a machine. But as, as shown in actually one of my ongoing research, openness to experience, open-mindedness is actually one of the very important personality that makes people uh, working better with AI and robots. It's interesting that there's a personality connection there and I can totally understand how openness to experience would uh, offer that connection. Always fun when we get to tie in some of these things and start to think about those individual differences and what shapes our experience with these tools. And, you know, of course, we look at our med students and we say, yes, they're going through the same experience, but we also do try to take into account what their individual needs are. And there's a movement in medical education toward more individual learning plans that will allow students to address those things. 
Uh, it's fun to think about how personality and the tools and the way those may interact uh, could ultimately personalize even further the learning experience that a student has. Yeah, I was just thinking how AI could help me establish a practice in mindfulness. <laughs> like we could link it to um, um, like all the biometrics, like my aura ring or my like continuous glucose monitor. And, you know, the AI will prompt me, hey, maybe now's a good time for you to do some breathing and... <laughs> Or get out and talk to someone. You've been isolated for too long. Yeah, get out. Yeah. That was part of the study conclusion, right? There may be some mindfulness part of the curriculum. Might be some mindfulness training. Pokemon, is that what you right? Is that? Yeah. So I would say, you know, like we didn't try to explore any kind of like mindfulness intervention or well-being kind of positive psychology intervention to try to, you know, fix the maladaptive uh, reactions of using AI. But in, in the future research direction sections, we do advocate in the future, definitely there's a room for development, you know, for both uh, scholarly work and also practitioners to really understand what kind of the, what are the inferences or what are the, um, especially like the interventions that companies can provide when it, when it comes to education, when it comes to making decision in high stake environment, what would be the intervention that makes people, okay, you can calm down, you know, like, you know, feel connected to your true self and then, you know, to get away from the potentially negative consequences of interacting with AI. So to Jeff and Anita's point, I really agree with you all that mindfulness intervention is probably the most efficient practices um, moving forward to make people, you know, try to focus on what you are right now, you know, like and accept AI and try to, uh, you know, mitigate the, the, the aversive reactions towards using AI. And of course, we're talking about the maladaptive piece of this, but there's also the adaptive piece, this sense that interacting with AI then also spurs someone to want to go out and help others, that drives us to interact. So I imagine, too, for our students, those are the kind of behaviors we want to promote. And if they've just spent time in a system, you know, practicing writing notes or inter interacting with patients, they may then feel spurred on to say, hey, I want to get out and interact with my classmates more now. I got to get away from this screen and out to real people, which is exactly the type of behavior we want to promote them doing more. I think it's so interesting that this is coming on the, you know, the tail end of our uh, COVID pandemic, where we all learned like the benefits of Zoom and sort of digital interfaces um, and also the the importance of just the human connection of actually being in a gathering that's like physical in person that we gain so much energy from um, our communities, our groups, that that's a, a really important element that we can't lose sight of. I'm, I'm going to take a little silly path here and ask you, do you think that uh, Luke Skywalker felt more uh, lonely with R2D2 or with C3PO? This is a good question because like, you know, I, I was not born in, in, in that generation of Star Wars, but like, you know, my advisor used exactly the same, um, you know, you know, analogy. I mean, like the, referring back to the figure of the uh, those in the Star Wars movie, like, you know, which, you know, which kind of robots or AI will make, actually make people feel lonelier? You know, if, if you ask me, I, I would say based on the implication of our research and what I've observed in the field, definitely those, um, equipped with social features like with for example the ability to make gesture with human voice and then with certain kind of social features like facial expression because like these days 
even software, they can be equipped with social features. Like sometimes the creator would regret it, would give the AI software a name, Mr. Something, like Mr. Something or Peter or Alice. So that's, so all these kind of things actually can help enrich the quality of the social interaction with the users. So I think that's really where uh, we could go further. Um, so yeah, to your question, I feel like really if organization is starting to anthropomorphize AI and robot, that's actually one of my uh, published a paper in 2000, back in 2021, two years ago, also in the same journal. We found that when organizations anthropomorphize AI or robots, um, basically customers will feel more satisfied because they feel like they, they will experience a sense mm -hmm. of an attribution of mind. They feel like this AI, this robot can think, can process. So I feel like, oh, being served by them as a customer, I feel more satisfied. So that that 2021 Journal of Applied Psychology paper, I'm a co-author on, I was a co-author on it. I feel like that also speaks a little bit to what uh, Jeff, you were asking about, like, you know, this social feature um, equipped that with their machine. So again, it seems like that could benefit the human side of the relationship. Or if I see this entity, this being, as a true being, then I might myself start to develop skills that I could use with other beings of like nature or of different nature kind of thing. So a lot of potential coming out of this. So is that, so one of the biggest questions you're working on is one of those, it sounds like, and are there others that are kind of big questions that you're thinking about down the road for your next next research step? Right. So um, at this point, I would say the majority of the research actually focus on the consequences of using AI, you know, like across different disciplines, psychology, management, finance, accounting, um, social science, they really, at this point, I feel like they are really focused, um, focusing on how AI affects the users psychologically, behaviorally, and professionally. And I feel like next step should be the reverse, you know, how we should, in the first place, cultivate people trust on AI. So that's exactly what my recent research are doing. We, we're taking up, you know, a kind of a reverse angle, a backward kind of uh, mindset to look at what are the factors actually should promote people, um, you know, acceptance of AI, usage of AI. What, what, what makes people want to trust AI? Because I feel like this is a very important assumption or a thing that we should tackle because companies now these days have invested millions, billions of dollars in implementing all these AI systems. And so as a researcher, if you want to connect back better to the industry, we, we can't just focus on, oh, how would that affect um, employees and users or managers this day or the other day? I think we should really think from the perspective of, you know, this uh, CEO, actually, I have all the system around. How should we promote people's trust on this system and use them? So that's I think that's my next step uh, in in. in and um in this area of research, yeah, I've been some there's been some ongoing study that I've been doing on this area, on this line of idea. Mm -hmm. So for people who are concerned about AI in their workplace and being asked by you know their bosses, by their teachers, by their peers to use these systems, and they're they're concerned about that. Maybe they've read your paper and they're concerned about these outcomes. Do you have any advice for them? What what should they do? How should they approach it? Right. So my advice is actually um, try not to overwhelm yourself with the experience of using AI. Um, some simple things of doing, trying to, in other words, try to balance your interaction with others, human being, 
um, at work and AI. Try not to spend more than 50% of your time using AI. Because these days, I know uh, for jobs, as far as I know, that are equipped with AI, people actually have the autonomy most of the time to decide what kind of tasks I want to use AI and the degree of interaction I should engage in at work. So my advice is that, you know, like you should always try to have a good hybrid of interacting with AI and interacting with your human colleagues. So I would say, just try to avoid prolonged exposure uh, with AI continuously during the day. That, that will be, I think, uh, from some initial evidence that we have found and what I've been doing and reading, I feel like this is one of a really simple steps that every user can take uh, to protect their well-being moving forward. Good advice all around. Take some breaks. Yeah, that 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 actually connects with my another um, stream of research pretty well because I've been doing work about human on human interaction with a with AI. So my my another so my uh, non-human entities at work that could be AI technologies, but that can also be animals. So I have uh, another co-author published a paper um, in personnel psychology about how interacting with animals at work improves people's well-being. So I feel like these two streams of research are actually talking together because they are they are all non-humans. You, you may feel like, oh, this is so extreme. One is like non-living entity like AI. One is living entity like animals. But they actually can live. I feel like they can coexist. They can live together, especially in this um, digital era. Like maybe companies can actually consider allowing them to, to bring their pet. For example, for jobs that are heavily, uh, people have to heavily engage with AI. Maybe one of the day during the week, they can bring their pets to improve their well-being. So I feel like there are so many more that we can do, um, you know, in the academic discipline and also in the industry. That's awesome. AI therapy dogs. Yep, yeah. I study AI a lot, so I I I recently I dog a dog. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Anita, in the clinical environment, how do people react to doctors and nurses having their pets with them all the time? Is that a concern for hygiene or other things? I have. <laughs> I have never been in a situation where my pet has been uh, like around. Um, I did have one patient come in to the office with her boa constrictor snake because she didn't want to leave it in the car because it was cold out. So she brought it into the office and we had to have her put it back in her car because I wasn't going to see her with her snake. That's really the only time that like came up. <laughs> My another, I've two another recently published a paper, one in journal of plant psychology and one in general management. Me and my uh, one of my advisor, Dr. Anthony Kloss, uh, he's in UCL right now. Um, we 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 study how also interacting with nature, plants, waterfall, birds, bird sound, how this kind of exposure or interaction with non-human entities affects people' well-being. So I feel like you know there are many ways. Um, to make this increasingly digital workplace a better workplace for employees. I love that. I think that's just a great a great uh, conclusion to this conversation. Any other thoughts you want to leave us with, Hawkman, before uh, before we bid you farewell? Um, yeah, I would just say thanks so much for inviting and reaching out. I, you know, I'm, I'm very excited about this area of research and looking forward to see, um, you know, how we as a field, as a group of academic scholars, as, as well as practitioners, can move forward to field by developing knowledge further to uh, promote people's well-being in the era of um, AI and digital technologies. It's certainly an ongoing conversation in medical education. 
thinking about uh, med student well-being, and I think it uh, it fits well with perhaps an expanding role of AI in med ed, that these two conversations are going on, and we hope scholars like you can keep our attention focused to pay attention to both those sides of things. Yeah, I will do my best. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right. Well, I'm Michael Brown. On behalf of Anita Public Anderson and Jeff Amundsen, Dr. Pakman Tang, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone. <laughs>